1: Yes, it is. And we finish off our week and our hour with the hour of alliteration. We do it with Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. And despite my uh, hang dog approach to the world, uh, he is uh, one of these uh, Southern California sunshiny optimists, even in academia. Pete, happy Friday to you. I'm doing my best to meet your meet and match your levels of uh, levels of uh, uh, stick uh, can do your levels of can do optimism. I'm doing my best, brother.
2: Well, I tell you what, Seth. I mean, I always look forward to this time of the week. Yeah. So, they're you I mean, you're not fully a glass half-empty guy. I'm not fully a glass half-empty guy.
1: You're, you're glass half-empty guy. That's <laughs> that could be the title of my book, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my autobiography. <laughs> when I get to it, I understand. Speaking of optimism and and uh, can do, uh, you, uh, I saw a picture flying around that uh, you met with our great state treasurer Kim Yea, uh, an alum of Pepperdine.
2: I sure did. I sure did was just out there for a quick overnight. Pepperdine has a number of uh supporters in yeah. in the listening area there yeah. for uh 960 the Patriot and uh got a chance to get lunch with uh Treasury. We've She's great. been in touch ever since I ran for office back in in 2014 and yeah. Um, I just really do think the world of her. Oh, these, she's great. Uh, she she killed yeah.
1: it. Uh, she is uh, she is someone we should take lessons from. You know yeah. you you know this. You you teach students who want to. I mean, that's the whole purpose of your life in your school is to teach students how to shape public policy. Uh, sometimes you need elected officials to do that. Uh, not everyone has to. You know, to that's
2: so true, <laughs> Seth. I mean, sometimes yeah. these schools of public policy get all focused on the administrative yeah. state. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, we need we do need people in in the agencies, but I'm always telling students that as much as they want to go work at a think tank yeah. or go work at a, a federal agency or whatever, to, to think about running for office because yeah. these are policymakers uh really uh, predominantly yeah and, the breadth uh, of
1: what you can do in public policy can really cover a lot too you know i remember that i yep. think the first time i ever talked to kim i think the first time we were talking about pepperdine and how she was so close to the recently and dearly departed bruce hershenson who was a yeah. teacher of hers i think they were very close yep and it dawns on me you know so many different levels of influencing public policy there kim yee who has been elected in the state legislature to now uh third highest office in arizona uh yep. second time around and uh, yep. someone like bruce who did make a run but really probably influenced more people as a commentator on local television and with his columns and books there's a lot of ways to influence those are two big ones
2: that's so true, and I would what even you do obviously
1: that, maybe a little of what I do a little.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think absolutely right, and but even to the point where Bruce, obviously, who did make his own run yeah. for yeah. U.S. Senate here, yeah. I have to say how many Republicans and even Democrats that I run into here in California that once they hear I'm from Pepperdine and they know Bruce's affiliation. They remember with great yep. fondness yep. and respect that race that he ran yeah. uh, back in the '90s. Was it
1: '92? Maybe I want to say '92. Yep. yep. Yeah.
2: Yep. And so that, so even in even in defeat, running the right kind of race on the right set of issues can still have influence and an impact. But obviously. Uh, Kim has not experienced. <laughs> so she keeps winning, so which is which is obviously great and great for the state of Arizona. Yeah, so. yeah,
1: no, she's and that's the thing I suppose too in public policy. You know, a lot of us, I don't know, some people have gotten on me a little bit on this, Pete, but I've been saying, you know, the problem, one of many repu- problems with the Republican Party, is uh, we sometimes don't know how to lose but equally sometimes we don't know how to win. And what I mean by that, a little bit of what we saw with the fight over the speakership, but more so, you know, why are we not studying with all the attention on the things we lost? Why are we not studying the success of Kim Yee's race, which was a blowout? Why are we not studying the victory? I have a picture in my um, studio here of Jack Kemp, who was once a boss of mine. He tells, the, used to tell the story when he got to, HUD in the in uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, I'm his sure. team came in with a uh, with a report, an update that they were about. I may have told you this, so they were about to uh, complete a study on the causes of poverty. And he said, "Just kill it. Just I don't need to study poverty. Bring me a study on the causes of wealth creation. Why are we mm. not studying, you know, the Kim Yees? Why are we not studying the the oh, positives yes. more?" I Just I couldn't agree
2: with you more. Yeah. I think that's so right, you know, we, we look back at Georgia, we think about the the Brian Kemp yeah, there. Yeah. We, we look at other places where we saw defeats and and focus on those without really looking at well, what contributed to these victories. Yeah. And and Arizona, I know, had seen uh, victories and defeats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. When we think about Arizona as a Republican, especially one from out of state, yeah. as I am, I you know i hear and think much more about the defeats than i do about the victories yeah we need like, to turn our like heads him. on that
1: a little bit um agreed i'll That's give you another good. sign of optimism here in arizona with oh. though we had some defeats another one was and forgive me if i repeat it but if i repeat it believe me i think it's worth repeating um school board candidates uh particularly yeah. in scottsdale who were campaigning on the COVID stuff, the race stuff, the transgender stuff? These moms, yep. they um, they out they 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 got they got thirteen percent higher voter turnout than statewide candidates because they were speaking to these things that people really do care about, and they won, they won.
2: And and that's part and parcel of a national movement, yeah, right. Yeah. I, and I, I think that those kinds of issues you and I have talked about many times yeah. that if there was a blessing from COVID, it was.
1: Getting people up. to focus
2: yeah. at the local level. Yeah. And the importance of engaging in these races, whether it's school boards or city councils or yeah. county races, yeah. that we often didn't really think about until no, right. all of a sudden we found out what happened when we weren't involved. Yeah. So. Shakespeare
1: has this line about being awakened from our deadly slumber. Yeah. That's a pretty, pretty apt phrase. The other thing I was thinking about, thinking a lot about this week and some stuff with you. The other thing I was thinking about with this document uh story the doc what do we what should we call it docu gate corvigate corvette gate corvigate it sounds like a toothpaste corvigate garage gate Cor- what do you have what do you have
2: garage gate garage gate yeah
1: you can't do garage gate or corvigate for the clean in your mouth and the smile on your face try corvigate um <laughs> But that and some other stories I want to talk to you about, I keep driving back to the mission in public policy that you're so strong on and a line in Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, if, if you cannot be lied about, don't deal in lies. It just seems lies cause so much damn damage in this country, like the Russian hoax, the Russian yeah. 2016 election hoax. Think of yeah. the damage that did. Think of the damage that um, the the lies about Joe Biden being the most ethical and transparent, and people buying into these lies Lies do an awful lot of damage in public policy, don't they?
2: They sure do, and uh, and so do rumors. Yeah, Um, and and in and intentionally generated rumors, which obviously were were also uh, a part of what's transpired in the country over the last. Uh, number of years. Although I I would just say I I still think, until I'm proven otherwise, I think the more important story as it pertains to these documents is really the funding of this Penn-Biden
1: Absolutely right. All that money Penn got from China, tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars, the moment he joined it and founded it.
2: Well, and as someone who has a part of my responsibility raising funds... Uh, for academic enterprises yeah. to see that year over year yeah. uh, in the early years, they yeah. went from $30 million raised in one year to $100 million. Yeah. That yeah. that kind of money in academia, even for an Ivy League school as Penn is, it's unheard is of. dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. And for for there not to be real accountability, I just hope that the investigators – whether in journalism or otherwise, uh, don't just put all of their focus on these documents. No, it's what's behind it. Whether they're talking yeah. it. And and this piece about the Biden-Penn Center and yeah. where those funds came from, yeah. uh, I think really is a story that, uh, that needs further. I agree with
1: you. It's a, it brings a whole new meaning to the phrase dark money. Let me take a quick commercial break, Pete, and come back with you on some other stories of the week I found. Uh, interesting and perhaps not uh, widely enough shared. A story like this docu garage gate, <laughs> it tends to crowd out things um, that I wish it didn't. Let's talk about those when we come back. I'm Seth Liebsen. He's Pete Peterson. If you are interested in a career in public policy, God knows it needs you and we need you. That's the school, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. You can also follow Pete on Twitter, fabulous Twitter feed he has, at Pete4CA, the number four, at Pete4CA. I'm Seth. He's Pete. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. I want to stay on this for a moment because I get worried about the durables that we lose in these transitional and transitory stories. If we focus on anything on this show, it's the durables. And the durable behind, I think, behind the document scandal with Joe Biden really is something Pete was putting his finger on in the previous segment i'd like him to say a little bit more about it if you don't mind pete this issue of china influence peddling and just how much money uh pencil was soaking up with regard to the biden center where obviously some of these classified documents were found the classified documents story i think is really only a story because they made such a big deal of it. With Donald Trump I don't think in and of itself with Trump it was that big of a deal didn't warrant what it got and I didn't think here it was the biggest of deals it's only a big deal because of the double standard but this issue this issue is a big one this is a lasting one say some more about it would you
2: yeah I think it's worth understanding that for a number if not the vast majority of colleges or universities across the country uh, to the degree that they even have endowments, yeah. they generally tend to be in the in the tens of millions of dollars for most colleges. Yeah, right, right, and and accumulated over uh, decades. To see that there was a institute in this case, this Penn Biden Center uh, launched that almost from its start got underway with uh, revenues and donations in in the amount of around. Uh, 20 to 30 million dollars but then escalating to somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million
1: these are the endowments the total endowments of certain of colleges like maybe even in claremont you know in one year they're getting what their whole endowment is right
2: absolutely and to i mean i'm sure many of your listeners uh have uh, over the course of the last week in hearing about this place have checked in on their website. I certainly have. I was familiar with it as an academic institution, but I have to say I, I didn't really know all that it was, was doing. Um, it really is remarkable, and to have this academic center get so much of its funding from China, it really does make one wonder where those relationships were coming from and why people or government entities were making these donations in the first place. Right. Now, certainly with the name Biden on it, uh, there were pre-existing relationships there from the then vice president, uh, who was uh, obviously uh, terming out of office, uh, that were brought to bear here. That is somewhat standard operating procedure. It's like why Condi
1: Rice is at Stanford or something like that, right? Yeah.
2: But at the same time, there's nothing named for Condi. That's Rice a fair point.
1: Yeah, it's still the Hoover Institute,
2: right? Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, and she checks into the office yeah. every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. It's a real here job. Here yeah, it's Penn a real Biden job. Center, yeah. yeah. And it's got tens of millions of dollars. We don't know. I mean, I don't think. I would hope that Biden himself was not profiting directly from this, but as someone again who raises money for uh, academic activities in in an institution to think that one would make an ask that would result in these tens of millions of dollars without thinking to oneself well, why would those people be making that kind of donation right if the right. program that we're offering that would be attractive right in that way right it just raises some very disturbing right questions. because
1: when you go and ask for uh, you know support for programs or support for your endowment or whatever Pete This is just standard operating procedure. You're going to talk to a donor or an institution that gives out money, you know, a a, a granting organization. You're going to tell them about the programs their money is going to pay for. Or they might come to you with an offer of programs they would like to endow and support. So it's money for something. It's money for something is my
2: point. what is what, the what, thing here? What were the yeah. what were the proposals right. made right. The, to get these funds? Right. What were the you know specific programs right. that were funded? Who were the specific donors? You know, if it wasn't if he hadn't gone on to become president of the United States, I don't think this would be as uh, you know timely of a question. But right. the fact of the matter is, might that not even
1: make news. Yeah.
2: But he is president. Yeah. And so understanding what were those relationships that resulted in these really massive amounts of money being yeah. uh, put into this institution.
1: It's a good point. That, you know, that's not a point I wrapped my head around until you started speaking about it. These in like a year or two was the amount of money of most colleges endowments that were built up over decades.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, absolutely. And again... You know what were the programs that were that were funded or even proposed for this Um, you know those are those are questions that because he is now our president that I think are are definitely worth asking and having answered but again so much of the reporting right now and I understand it is about these documents especially relative to the earlier Raid, if you will, yeah. uh, Mar a Lago yeah. for those. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's. Uh,
1: Let's not lose I, the bigger I, story, the durable one, the important one. I think one. really is the yeah. bigger story, and I, I do too. Now that you're really fleshing it out nicely on this show, I'm really glad. I'm hoping, I'm hoping this this segment gets captured by more people. I'm hoping a lot gets captured that transpired this week because I think you're right that. Um, I don't want to say narrow focus, but the, uh, the 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 majority of the focus might not be on the biggest thing. It probably isn't. And it's crowding out other things. The story you're outlining, the investigation that should take place that you're outlining. I'll give you a couple other stories that I think uh, came and went this week way too quickly and probably have never surfacing again. Pete um, may have to go to break with this one and have you comment on the other side. We'll see. But by anyone who's ever studied, knows, written, or read about the drug issue in America, everyone agreed by every source and documentation, 1979 was the worst year for drug use in America. 1979 was known as the high watermark with 14.1% of Americans regularly using illegal dangerous drugs, okay? 1979, 14.1%. We did a lot of work. We couldn't handle it. We did a lot of work. We got it down into the like 5% range. This last week, we just got the national survey out from the Department of Health and Human Services, 14.3%. That is to say, this past week, we got to a new high-water mark of drug, illegal drug use in this, regular illegal drug use in this country. Uh, no one's writing about it. This is making headlines nowhere. I did hit the break with this. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit when we come back as well. Headlines sure. that... In any other normal time, or perhaps even if it were a different administration, would be dominating. And it's, I think, another one of these durables because unless attention is paid here what's that line from Death of a Salesman? Unless attention is paid here, no one's gonna do a damn thing about it and it'll just get worse. Pete Peterson is our guest. He and I will be right back. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. You wanna roll up your sleeves and do something about these things that bother you? Pepperdine's where to go to learn best practices, best insights, best tools, best everything, best training on how to have a career in public policy. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Fire and rain. What are you getting in California and Southern California this weekend? Is it fire or is it rain, Pete?
2: Oh, it's definitely rain. Yeah, okay. It's definitely rain. <laughs> right. if you, guys,
1: you guys could elect a serious governor. You could well, use course, the rain the way that to stop the fire, in, but that's, <laughs> that's
2: not— Well, the way that gets played out in California, you know, we've been under drought restrictions for years. You'd think everybody would be jumping for joy, but now, of course, our public officials are saying, oh, we're getting too much rain, and it's all, you know, related to climate change. Yes, so. of
1: course, of course, of course. One last thing before we turn to that drug stat on the China uh, issue with Biden and the University of Pennsylvania. You were telling me in real time over the break, something came over your transom on the issue of Biden's profitability here, yeah?
2: Yeah, so it, it, apparently there's uh, there's a mechanism within the IRS for the public to lodge a complaint uh, that the IRS has to consider. Okay. And this America First Legal Foundation has lodged one of these complaints uh, against the oversight by the University of Pennsylvania of this Penn-Biden Center. Now, this is probably too deep into the weeds, but it's worth understanding that uh, the University of Pennsylvania is its own 501c3, its its own nonprofit organization. And within that is nested a number of different other institutes, centers, and so forth. So for the public to be able to look at the finances specifically of the Penn-Biden Center is actually an extremely difficult, if not impossible, thing to do. Um, But this is essentially what is uh, being forced. What is known is that apparently uh, now President Biden was paid uh, a million dollars over the years 2017 to 2019 for what ended up being... Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to nine public appearances, at least recorded appearances for the University of Pennsylvania. And then once becoming president, the former or recent president of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, Amy Gutmann, became the ambassador to Germany. Ah. So Ah. I am not at all raising the prospect of any sort of quid pro quo other than to say that the relationship between the Bidens and the University of Pennsylvania and this Penn-Biden Center is, I think, worthy of of deeper examination. And By the way, Antony Blinken
1: was the executive director of it for a spell.
2: That's right. That's now worth we're pointing out, too. Yeah. So, um, and again, uh, remains to be seen how quickly... I, I would find it difficult to believe that the IRS is aggressively uh, pursuing right. this complaint, but right. it has been publicly lodged, right. so now it's something to be followed.
1: Pete, turning that uh, uh, to that story I was just mentioning that I think is not going to get much headline, I was thinking you and I are roughly the same age. In late 60s, early 70s, there's a real push in our culture to help protect and nurture our young children. Uh, Fred Rogers started his show in 1968. Sesame Street was the year after. Shortly after that uh, came Marlo Thomas and the Electric Company. Then we had Schoolhouse Rock and the Children's Defense Fund. It seems to me we really cared about protecting and nurturing our children for a good 10-year spell there, starting in the late 60s to the late 70s. Boy, I'm telling you, it's taken a turn I'm thinking about the drug stats. We just hit a new high watermark on drug use. I'm looking at something you retweeted from Professor Robbie George at Princeton about, uh, about, you know, basically another case of being lied to about studies with the transgendering of children. Boy, the focus is really off with our kids these days, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and again, I think the way forward, if there is going to be a way out of this Morass that we find ourselves is by refocusing on our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, this conversation just reminded me. Just last night, we hosted a a private screening of a soon to be released documentary based on the book "Coddling of the American Mind" by. Jonathan Haidt. Oh, good, good, good.
1: You know, I read I read something about good. Can you say can I take this was a short segment? Can I have you pick up on that when we come back? Absolutely. uh, Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. I know Jonathan Haidt's work because of you. And uh, I I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, The coddling of the American mind, not the closing, the coddling. I'm not sure which is worse. They're both bad. Pete will talk to us about it when we come right back. Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the Dean and the Brown Family Dean's Chair at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, an important book from a couple important scholars, Pete, uh, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. What a great title. Uh, Talk to me about this.
2: Yeah, so the book is a a bestseller. It grew out of an article that uh, Greg Lukianoff, who heads up a essentially a free speech organization with the acronym FIRE, mm-hmm. uh, and Jonathan Haidt, of course, the the social psychologist who's written a number of books. Essentially, the book goes into, uh, and the reason that the two are tied together, it essentially brings... Um, Height's experience as a psychologist with Lukianov's experience working on college campuses in which there have been uh, charges of uh, the squelching of free speech. And the, the interesting nexus is that what Lukianov began to see uh, in around 2013 or 2014 was that in a number of places uh, it seemed as if college administrators were beginning to undertake policies that that not only squelch free speech, but the way that they squelch free speech was to uh, develop uh, these terms like speech is violence," mm-hmm. And what Lukianov, who had the experience of going through really debilitating uh, depression, I believe it was in his uh, teens and 20s, began to realize that most of the things that brought him out of that depression, that developing that sense of resiliency when his mind was telling him certain things, was to speak these positive thoughts back into his mind and concentrate more on positive things. Yet here he is on college campuses where the emphasis was always on the negative and that even things that were said to you really need to be taken under suspicion because of who was saying it so that whole field of microaggressions was was part and parcel of this so the two of them come together write write this best-selling book on really what has transpired over the last 10 years heavily influenced by the rise of social media and the growth of this what is now cancel culture but even 2017, when the book first came out, there really wasn't much of a discussion around cancel culture. Um, What we were able to do last night, because I happen to know the producer and director uh, of the documentary, was screen for a group of faculty here at Pepperdine, a documentary titled Coddling of the American Mind, which Mm -hmm. is, of course, based on the book and involves several interviews with both Haidt and Lukianoff. But the major emphasis of the documentary, which is is due out publicly within the next couple months, was on the stories of uh, five different students at five different college campuses, very different people, very different stories in a certain sense. But this feeling of uh, walking on eggshells yeah. uh, was pervasive. And you mentioned before, what are we doing to our kids? Yeah, I think yeah. what's so powerful about this documentary is it really does focus on the kids' stories. And having the producer and director there to answer questions, and I asked them that question, you know, the book was written by Haidt and Lukianoff, and they certainly have small roles in the movie, but you really emphasize the kids. Why did, Why did you do that? And their answer was, because we want the movie to speak to kids.
0: Good, good.
2: And we don't want adults saying that this is what kids need to do and you Uh need to straighten up and so on and so forth. But at the same time, we want adults to hear what the impact is of these policies on them.
1: Good. Coddling is such a great word for this, too. You know, it has two meanings, really. Uh, Most people think of it as pampering or overly protective. But it also means, I think, originally it meant to boil. Think about boiling the American mind. (laughs) You know, (laughs) think about that, too.
2: and again, that that uh, that feeling of, in fact, it, it reminds me Destroying of our minds, one yeah. of the particular students who uh, happens to be a student at Lafayette College out in Easton, Pennsylvania, began to speak. He said, I had certain thoughts in my head, but what was coming out of my mouth was really meant to engender me or protect me from... What I knew, was I was thinking in my head the uh-huh. wrong thoughts, and uh-huh. by wrong, I'm putting in air quotes uh, to whatever the campus culture was, obviously, on issues uh, mostly political. And yeah. this tension between thinking one thing and knowing that you can't say that mm-hmm. is really what we're now understanding is so pervasive yeah. on college campuses.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of this started—I mean, God, there are so many levels to this. Maybe we dedicate an hour to it or a show to it next time we visit Pete. There are so many levels to this. And I should
2: connect you to the producer-director, too. Yeah,
1: maybe. Maybe the three of us, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, one level is the disappearance of childhood and making children grow up too fast, kind of yanking them out of what— we sometimes describe as the Garden of Eden of childhood, and, 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 and foisting adulthood on them too fast. and that, That's one element. The other element is overly protecting them, and, you know, so that they never do really quite develop what you might think of as bone or even moral and emotional density, gravity, right? Uh, bubble wrapping yep. them from ideas yep. more than anything else. It, yep. it, it's really, it leads to a real... A real psychological, societal, social problem where, you know, Heather Hang, she has this phrase, we end up producing children in adult bodies. It's a very, very disturbing thing that we have just only begun, I think, to grasp.
2: Well, and again, the the message of particularly Jonathan Haidt around what is now known as this Generation Z, yeah. who's in their mm-hmm. teens through 20-somethings, is... The experiences that are formative and, one would argue, uh, maturing, everything from playing by yourself, unsupervised, to yep. a number of other indicators, yep. are so on late onset for this generation yep. that one wonders whether they're prepared for Yes,
1: exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. I mean... You keep someone in bubble wrap and then throw them out into a dangerous world, uh, bad things are going to happen. Pete Peterson, your delight, as always, a teacher for all of us, the teacher we need. Pepperdine School of Public Policy, folks, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, have a great weekend. Build an ark. <laughs> Fuck <Fox>, stay here. <laughs> and we'll talk to you well, soon. Well, we hope
2: to send some rain your way you know, too. Yeah,
1: you're gonna I have a feeling you're gonna. All right, brother. Be good.
2: I'm Seth Leepsen. I'll be right back.
1: Thank you for spending some of your day with us, some of your week with us. Thank you David Dahl for uh, production and uh Billy D, wherever he is, he's still around. Right. Thank you. All, um, all. Yeah, I was talking to Pete about uh, that um, Heather Hang, um quote about uh, children and the bodies of adults. What she writes is it is a fine needle to thread, giving children enough space to make their own decisions and mistakes and protecting them from real danger. Our societal pendulum has swung too far to one side to protecting children against all risk and harm such that many who come of age under this paradigm feel that everything is a threat, that they need safe spaces, that words are violence. By comparison, children with exposure to diverse experiences, physical, psychological, and intellectual, learn what is possible and become more expansive. It is imperative that children experience discomfort in each of these realms, physical, psychological, and intellectual. Absent that, they end up full grown but confused about what harm actually is. They end up children in the bodies of adults. I often end with, uh, I often use that quote, they end up children in the bodies of adults. It seems to me the sentence right in front of it is equally, if not in fact, more important. Uh, Full grown adults who are confused about what harm actually is. A disorientation is how we call it. Here, or the word I use. If you have a better one, please let me know. We are disoriented as to what the real harms are in our society. And so we're focusing and chasing all the wrong things. Well, we'll focus on the durables here as best we can. We'll do it together. I thank you all so much for allowing us into your homes and your cars and your ears and your hearts and your heads. And wish you a great weekend. Until Monday, I am Seth Leapson. God bless you all. David and Bill, thank you again.